Welcome to the Farm Bits Podcast, a product of Nebraska Extension Digital Agriculture. I'm Jackson Stancil. And I'm Samantha Teton. And we come to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews and panels with experts, producers, and innovators from all sectors of digital technology, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Welcome back to the Farm Bits Podcast. Before we get started on today's content, we want to let you know about the upcoming Nebraska on-farm research meetings on February 25th and 26th. Join extension educators and producers to explore the results of over 100 farm trials this year. For registration information, please check out the website for the Nebraska on-farm research network that is listed in the podcast description. This episode marks the beginning of our next topic series discussing the topic of connectivity in agriculture. When we say connectivity in agriculture, what we're really talking about is the ability for machines, devices, sensors, and users to be connected to the internet, both reliably and sufficiently for effective transfer of information. Connectivity in agriculture is a major issue and one that many in the industry believe is a major impediment to maximizing the potential of digital agriculture and even the adoption of digital agriculture at large. To introduce us to the topic of connectivity and why it is important to digital agriculture, we welcome back Dr. John Fulton to the Farm Bits podcast. As you may recall, Dr. Fulton is a professor at The Ohio State University and is involved with the Ag Data Coalition, which is a nonprofit consortium of private and public entities that is aiming to enhance the storage and usage of data in agriculture. This episode is chock full of important information to set the stage for this episode series, so let's get started with the interview. With the digital revolution that we're seeing, most farmers out there have some sort of internet connected device like a smartphone, a tablet, or uh, a laptop computer that they are using to conduct business on. How has this changed ag, uh, let's say in the last 10 years, uh, and what technologies have really been enabled by having all these internet connected devices? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's just a really good question, Jackson. And (laughs) I guess I would first say that it's really regional specific in some of this as well, right? I mean, when you think about access to whether it's cellular connectivity, 3G, 4G, now we're talking 5G in terms of the availability of that to having wireless access in in some areas. Some, to put it, some of us have a lot better access, just, you know, a lot better because of where we are versus others and what investments have been made locally uh, to make that happen. So, uh, but in terms of the, the changes, what, I, what I'd first tell you is, I mean, you just take the last five years and really look at how the smartphone or a tablet device has changed how people uh, communicate mm-hmm. and interact with information in the ag industry. And I look at things very simply, um, you know, the number of farmers today, regardless of age, that have a smartphone or tablet is, is you know, well above 80%. And you go to a commodity group meeting or, or similar type meeting where farmers are sitting there, you know, just look around and tell me the number of people that aren't on their device while something's going on, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so yeah. the point in that, they're, they're able to communicate, whether that's basic text messages to emails, to looking at weather, looking at markets, pricing uh, inputs, all that today can be done, you know, at your fingertips very quickly. And so I think that's a huge change of how 
information's exchanged and how business is being conducted. I would add, and this is probably more observational on my part, but you'll be in meetings and you'll hear this where farmers and consultants and kind of ag industry is, you know, we talk a lot about ag being uh, at least a relational business where um, I buy from you because I have a relationship with you. And, and I think that still holds true to level to some level, but in recent years, you've heard more and more people purchasing inputs, equipment, because they got access to the internet. And I don't want to take away the importance of the personal relationships locally, but they have just bypassed that and used the internet as a, a source of ability to, to purchase something per se. And they said, you know what, we used to do that locally. I mean, think about the equipment business. I mean, you would go to your local, you know, back in the day, the deer dealership or the case dealership or the case IH, I guess we, we had, I mean, to your agco, whoever was representing them. And that just a lot of times that's how it done. And, and today you can go to a, a farm, even in, I'm sure in Nebraska, and you may not be surprised and say, hey, you know, I just bought this out of Indiana, this tractor or this, this planner out of Indiana because of the, and my, a lot of that has to do with the internet, uh, in my opinion. Um, so we've gotten smaller. Uh, and so that's a, a really good example. And I think at the same time, uh, our old adage of, of personal relationships has, has gone by the wayside to some level. I'm not saying it's still not important, especially locally mm -hmm. when I'm sourcing inputs and needing something on a spur of a moment. But uh, I've seen a lot of uh, those relationships kind of overlooked when it comes to purchasing equipment and inputs and, and things in bulk today. Huh. Interesting. So, so it seems like at a very, at, at the most fundamental level, people have, you know, access, uh, there a lot of people have access to these apps uh, and tools, uh, and they have at least some basic information coming in, but there are also a ton of other digital technologies that we're starting to see out there in the market that are kind of building on those fundamentals or kind of pushing the limits of what we're able to do. And I think here in Nebraska, you know, in the land of center pivots, there are a lot of people that have, you know, some sort of telematics for monitoring their center pivots on their phones now. And so I guess I'd like to start diverting our conversation kind of into this area of, of other technologies that might be enabled by connectivity and maybe start talking about IOT or Internet of Things technologies. So would you mind explaining to us and to what our listeners, like what IOT is exactly? Yeah. And so let's, can we break that apart just a tad, Jackson? Yes. Because yep. You know, in my mind, when I when we get to this IoT in a second, that's just a not a device, right, connected to something that I end up pulling data or seeing something, you know, basically data from. Yep. But there's also that's a, an intermediate platform normally that sits in between. So let's not forget that there in in majority, if not all, those platforms are in the cloud somewhere. So uh, a good example. Um, you know, I'm thinking about you guys, CropX, you know, mm -hmm. they have a platform they're they're and primarily focused on irrigation and, and, and soil moisture monitoring and temperature monitoring what they provide through those services. But then a day their core is, is trying to get information um, even suitably autom automated if you want to, to, to support scheduling of, of pivots, for example, out in Nebraska, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a platform and then you, we get to this whole IoT. So IoT um, 
in a very simple form, the Internet of Things is, in my mind, is this connecting of devices, including things like soil moisture sensors slash temperatures that, that we can easily put out into a field or a flow meter that's on a pivot that's connected to the Internet to, to today, the, the sprayer behind me. Uh, I don't want to forget here that, um, spatially speaking for our OEMs, that their harvesters, their tractors, and now even their sprayers at minimum, the equipment that they're building or manufacturing, all come embedded with a modem already integrated into them. So those machines are connected to the internet. And so my point on that is we, we start to see sensors, we'll call our devices sensors, and that's kind of, in my mind, provides hopefully some ground truth into the point that they're installed to, to feed into things like models, whether that's weather, for example, to give me local weather that gets incorporated into a model to give me a little bit more detail on what, you know, maybe forecasts are locally to ultimately soil um, type modeling to crop modeling. Uh, when we think about our nitrogen tools, but it's the IoT devices that are these sensors and devices that we're deploying. They're connected to the inter internet and we can either pull data from them or interact with them and somehow uh, through this connected, um, the connectivity that, that that's in play. So that's about the simplest way I can explain all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like there is a lot of value to that. And I'm sure most farmers do have, you know, some IoT on their farm, even if they weren't calling it that. So, but can you talk about the potential of IoT technologies in the next, you know, 10 years? Where are we going with this? Well, um, let's start at the, the, the kind of ground level per se. And, and I think a lot about machine like behind me. What are we doing on that machine uh, within the field operation and what are we automating and what are we communicating and, and such. And so, first of all, I mean, to my point that these machines, the people we, we've already established in our discussion today that the majority of people, especially in North America, we can include Canada in this discussion, yeah. are connected to the internet. All right. And if you, if, if we're all going to kind of agree, if that's 70%, 80% or 90 plus percent in, in your area, that's, but the point is, it's a high significant volume of people connected to the internet. Secondly, the machines are connected to the internet, okay, in the way I described this. So, uh, technically, if you probably have a machine, uh, tractor, harvester, sprayer that's been purchased or leased in the last five years, the likelihood it's already got the connectivity on it. Now, whether you use it or not, it's, it's there, just like your new car that you buy is connected to the internet, whether you acknowledge that or not, it's connected. Okay. Mm -hmm. So my point in all that, just through the connectivity, there's a couple of real value propositions that automatically happens. Number one, when I, when you talk to service providers around the country, and I'm talking about people that offer services and specifically to kind of like these precision ag services, the simple thing is just getting data off of machinery has overcome the limitation that's been an Achilles heel for precision ag for the last 20 plus years. Okay, and so we can actually get data into a position in the cloud, whether it's used that day or not, but at least giving it a better opportunity for it to be actioned on by someone 
in a business, whether that's mm -hmm. us sitting here that you're doing research or more likely a service provider that's able to take that data, acquire that data and provide the services back. A lot of times that comes in a form of recommendations. Uh, fertility, seeding are, are obvious ones. Uh, for you guys, maybe irrigation as well can get formulated into that. But just moving data off of the machine has overcome, in my opinion, a significant Achilles heel for the industry because we've gotten rid of sending one person to 20 farms and playing that game of having headaches of downloading the data. What do I actually have on the thumb drives? Sorting mm -hmm. through all that and getting to the fields that, that, that I need to use for whatever I've been asked to do with that data. Yeah, it sounds like we can collect a lot of data from a lot of places. Do you have any numbers on how much data we are generating <laughs> and, you know, kind of what the problems are potentially with that? Yeah, yeah, we were, uh, you know, it's kind of like sitting here and you're kind of fiddling around and saying, well, um, we don't know. We didn't know. I mean, we talk about this data each and every day and we're like, well, what can we collect? And so uh, very simply, I'll, I'll give a lot of kudos to, to Trey Colley, who was a grad student here and uh, kudos to him that doing this. And we just took a hundred acre field and every commercial device, every going back to this whole technology thing, everything that that farmer was using, plus their consultants, they, he used that farmer used two consultants on that hundred acres. We collected every little piece of information data and, and just said what what did we get <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh and out of that we we for one season one season we were over uh six petabytes of data wow and, and again <laughs> this wasn't this isn't you know us building a sensor in the lab and and adding that into the mix this is off the shelf digital tools that OEMs and companies and you know startups provided that this farmer was using um, includes imagery um, services that they were doing provided within some of those platforms and mm -hmm. some of them they were buying it for other reasons but they had six petabytes of data on we ended wow. up and and you, you know the first question is what the heck's a petabyte you right know? right yeah that's a you know a, th a thousand terabytes for those of you out there if you think about your 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 computer today that's yeah. you know a thousand times six now we're talking about so but your point samantha so at the end of the season we sat down we said man we have all this data and we asked some of those basic questions uh we sat uh, the farm manager down we set the consultants down we set us down because we were right there working with them and trey and i and we asked you know number one what percentage of that data was readily accessible to the farmer or consultant mm -hmm. meaning they you know you could see it in an app relatively within a day or so take imagery as an example it, it was there mm -hmm. they could view it they could use it in some manner whether that was subjective or they were going to put it through some kind of analysis whatever um, out of that six total petabytes, only just over 25% was readily available to the to farmers. So therein lies, going back to the discussion, um, some of the problems, you know, that 75% that roughly of that data wasn't even in a form that was usable. Uh, in most cases, that data was going to have to be exported wherever they that, that company was putting that data and then import it into some kind of specialized software package for it to be used. 
or viewed or used. Okay, and so therein lied some some issues, connectivity issues, right? The second question really was is at the end of the day, the farm manager, and, and this was a very progressive farmer uh, using all the tools, looking at imagery. I mean, they were involved, you know, using imagery as verification and thinking ahead and marketing planning and all this stuff. And uh, you asked, well, what, what was the value of that data? Okay, mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. we got a pile of data, six petabytes plus a data piled up on hard drives. And that number came out to about 11% of that data at the end of the year was valuable to, to, mm. to, the, to the farmer in terms of whether it returned a dollars and cents, we'll say per acre back to them. They said, I could, I could calculate out and that data brought me back a dollar an acre, $5 an acre here, whatever it might be to, you know what? I'm willing to pay for that data set because it just verified that my field operations were done properly and my 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 crop in that year was progressing as I planned. We're in good shape, so we're not going to make any drastic changes to anything else that's coming up in terms of field operations or any marketing. So there was two value propositions. One, it was dollars and cents, and the second one is just this value of you know, giving a confidence and, and verification and that they're willing to pay for. That was only 11% of that data that was actually valuable to that farmer at the end of the year. Wow. So um, building off of that, when you think about the 11% and also how much data we're collecting, where do you see the most growth? As in like, are we going to have more sensors and start collecting more data? Or we've had some recent podcasts where it was like, oh, we're gonna tap into this data you already have for labor management or um, grain management. So, or do you see that 11% increasing or do you just see us collecting more data? Well, I do think we're, we're starting to see tools out there that have been built to tap into the data that's been being collected and trying to bring maybe a different perspective on the analysis or, just bringing uh, core analysis back to to the to the farmer or, or consultant. So that's definitely there. I think the bigger thing and help. Hopefully, this makes sense to everyone. Is I use the precision ag business as an example on this. And and, and so, you know, back in the day, I used to have, you know. Uh, a software package we call them we, we all call them fmis packages it's just a way to look at bringing in data from whatever technology and being able to, to view my layers and, and very simply put bringing some very simple analysis to that and, and create prescriptions those fmis's mm -hmm. today i cannot most people cannot be in the business of just providing basic precision ag services back to the grower today and what you've seen in the industry is really a convergence of different types of software into one platform. So for example, if you go out and you would log into some platforms, not only are you able to see your yield data, but you're instantly, typically based on university um, numbers, uh, you can see a profit map in that platform. Now, whether you pay for that or not depends on the, on the company, but my point is, there's benchmarking, there's other things that they're bringing to the table within these software packages. So think about what Cortiva has been able to do. They, they had in Circa. Now, now in Circa has been replaced by Granular where they bought that 
granular technology, which is brings in logistic logistics analysis, a lot more analysis of the farm operation. Plus, you bring in circuit products that we're doing kind of the precision ag as related to seeding recommendations and the nitrogen tool, those kinds of things. They're all eventually being coupled into one platform. And so my point in all that is you're starting to see where data, uh, maybe a single data layer can be analyzed in different ways, depending on what you're trying to look at. So I may have a yield data uh, map that gives me an estimate of, of spatial variability in the yield. It also gives me what my average yield is, but at the same time, I can compute things like field capacity and some of the efficiencies and, and downtime directly from that data. And it's just a lot more simpler because those tools are built into these platforms. So as more entities get involved in providing services and apps for producers, how is the cost structure going to change? The industry's been moving to a kind of a single cost structure for technology. So I buy, I buy the machine, lease the machine. I'm not having the, well, here's your, here's your, um, you know, a la carte, what technology do you want to use on that machine? Well, that, this one's 4,000, this one's 2,000, whatever it may be. And there's this, this, you know, kind of this feeling like you're getting nick on dime. What's happened is people have learned that a lot of times people pay one time, one year to your point, and for a lot of this, or you just roll it into the, we'll say the bag of seed, or you roll it into the equipment. And so mm -hmm. we've moved in recent years, uh, not everyone, but, um, but you're seeing, again, you, you, you buy the equipment and for the most part, other than maybe a few little things that are kind of higher level or advanced type technologies, it's just, it's there um, for you, unless you have to do some kind of update you know, I've, I've had the machine for five years and oh, by the way, mm -hmm. I want to update the receiver. I want to update the display or something, but they're rolling those costs into the cost of whatever the core product is. And the same for the seed industry. I mean, if you look at some of these platforms, it doesn't cost me anything to get a, an account. Now it costs me to, to do some advanced analysis or if mm -hmm. I do recommendations, but just getting access to data, viewing data, doing some of those very summary type level um, uh, steps for, for, for the data analysis. Uh, it's free. Okay. And oh, by the way, I'm going to give you some imagery with that too. Um, <laughs> you know, so going back to your piece, you know, I think the question would be is if, if ever, everyone's going to want their cents or dollars <laughs> along the way, ultimately what's the cost going to be back to the user. And I think in ag we've learned, that a lot of these technologies, you can't charge for a lot of these technologies. That's been a been a hindrance because let's get straight, majority of these, it's hard for farmers because they're very, every farmer's different and specialized for their operation. And so it's hard for them to understand the value that that tool might bring. And so they're not willing to pay for it because they are, there's not this, you know, blaze that's gonna do X amount of dollars advantage for you on your profit line. So, um, I can see the industry, the point in that is the industry is continuously evolving and dealing with those scenarios. And I want to tell you that they're doing that annually. I mean, as you, as Jackson brought up these APIs and we're transitioning data, that's not free folks. That's not free. Okay. Google 
is not free for us to use. We like mm -hmm. to talk about how Google's free for us to use. <laughs> mm -hmm. But technically, at the end of the day, there's, there is a profit stream there, and everyone's going to get, that's what negotiations are about, out of that. And so, sure, I mean, those may present challenges as they figure out what the revenue stream and who gets what along that line. But I think the more important thing that they need to be thinking about is how they how are they going to present that to the user, and what sure. is it, what's the user going to think about that? That's a super interesting perspective. I think that it, uh, bringing in all these different layers to profit is something that Sam Schwab actually talked about, in you know, in our our last episode. Um, and, and one one topic that you brought up. Uh, kind of in that response was this integration of different digital ag technologies. And in some cases, like you mentioned, it's an integration where we literally have a, a completely embedded system. It's got, you know, a recommendation system. It's got data collection systems. It's got an imagery system, everything built into one. But there are also some systems out there that we see that have uh, API connections between different platforms and are sharing data and that requires an internet connection. And we also think about how that data gets to these different platforms, all requiring an internet connection. So how much of a limitation is internet connectivity in rural areas to the growth of all these technologies and to the integration of these technologies? It's pretty significant in my, my view. Um, and to make that point, the FCC for the last two years have had committees working through that very thing. What is it going to mean? And, and basically in my mind, to some level, trying to build a, a, a business case, we'll say whether that's government, whether that's government and agency to, to address and, and put something in play here, we'll say in the US. Um, they just did a report and, and I can pull that for you where they went through and said, well, what is the value? For example, if we just if we just could tomorrow turn on and everyone has access in rural maker to, to, to the internet, to, you know, wireless connectivity, what would that mean to, to the ag economy, essentially? And what they said or saw, and off the top of my head, I have to go back, but you get my point. We instantly see a 3% increase in corn production in the US. Wow. Wow. And and for our listeners that you, you, we could say, well, three percent is not little, but that's huge. When you think about the the level of production and the acres planted in the U.S., and you're saying you're going to increase that by three percent, and it was it seemed like it was a little bit higher maybe for soybeans, but let's just play with the three percent. That was an ins that they they it is a really really intriguing analysis to come up with that. And that aligns with some other data that I've seen, in my opinion. I mean, whether it's 2% or 5%, or it's still somewhere in that area, in my mm -hmm. mind. And so it connectivity will not only influence and bring ability for farmers to, to take advantage of some of these, but it's going to bring educational opportunities, information to people's fingertips instantly whether it's a it's a elementary age kid, a high school kid, or what we're talking about farming today, instantly education and information changes just because of having that connectivity. And this report highlights it's gonna have a direct influence on our productivity of corn and soybeans in the US. 
I'm glad you brought the education piece in there too, because I think that's an understated value of this connectivity, right? How many people have been able to attend uh, virtual farm uh, farm field days or, you know, these virtual events that extension, you know, uh, services hold that maybe weren't able to get to them previously because they weren't in the same location. I mean, I, I think that internet connectivity is a huge piece there too. It, it, you know, Jackson, I, I'm going to try to pick on you, but I just think about my time in Alabama and it's the same here in Ohio. There's just areas that aren't covered or have very poor access to, to internet. And, and that includes in some urban areas mm -hmm. and, and just being able to, to grant that access or have that available allows anyone to get on the internet, whether I'm a, you know, my children to high school kids, FFA kids to, to, to farmers. So, um, and like you say, it makes the information at the university readily much more available to, to those that, that might need to, that might be asking questions or looking for recommendations or information. It just, it turns it on instantly. So it sounds like the struggles with rural connectivity are not limited to, you know, rural Montana or to, uh, you know, uh, northern Michigan or anything like that. There, there are things that you can observe even close to urban areas. Um, so it, it, what do you think needs to happen in order for us to start making headway to solving some of these issues? Who, who, are, the, who are the entities that are going to be involved in helping to solve these real connectivity issues and enabling ag to kind of take this next step in connectivity. Well, I want to say that I'm not the, the wizard here and looking into the crystal ball. I, I, I don't want to say that, but I, I'll tell you just kind of where my thoughts are on, on this. Um, I think there will be a push trying to get people to kind of a 5G level connectivity, uh, whether that's ultimately cellular based or a combination of some some other technology to bring that to areas that don't have it but i think hopefully we can we can make that happen and at a level that gets a, a pretty significant coverage uh, for us out in rural america um I, I think at the end of the day you know we we had this push back and forgive me i'm going to say 10-ish years ago to 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 address this issue it kind of moved at a pretty rampant pace enough that um, it got a lot of people uh, excited and concerned at the same time, and it never came to fruition. And the company essentially went out of business. Uh, that was back in Light Square. Now they're back in back in the, the folks, and, and it's under a different name. Uh, but what I'm saying is, I, I think it's going to have to be a collective effort, both on the private sector and and the U.S. government's going to have to step in and help support it to make it real uh at the end of the day that's that's me i, I think it's going to have to be a joint effort to say we're going to do this and i guess you'd say come up with a plan that that is viable um it meets the the needs and above all the kind of the first if if you guys don't remember back to that whole uh discussion is doesn't come to the the industry and all of a sudden interferes with our GPS signals. That was the big, the big concern back then yeah. was they basically going to operate within a spectrum that yeah. that could interfere with GPS, uh, depending on what study you saw, but the, the, we, you know, we're not sure, I, I'm not sure we want to go backwards per se at this point. 
uh, until we figure some other things out. But so I think we need to have a holistic view, but it's going to be government and private in industry working together with a plan in play. I'm not saying there's not going to be bumps in a row like we've talked about with this whole data connectivity uh, piece today, but uh, but I think that's what's going to come out of some of the work to FCC and some of the reports of you and just some of these reports are just now starting to come out. But I think you're starting to see kind of a, some information at hand about what the plan may look like and and kind of seeing who wants to who's going to support what to make that work. So how is the move toward more autonomy in agriculture going to change the demand on rural connectivity? If we're going to move to autonomy, uh, both within, you know, we'll say cars and, and um, but ultimately in ag, we're going to have to have connectivity. Um, <laughs> these devices will have to be connected to the internet to some level for them to, to function properly. You just can't, you're just not going to be able to have a robot that uh, functions 24 seven uh, without being connected to the internet at some portion or a portion of their time uh, during that whatever task they're they're working on. So that's gonna be extremely important. So back to the companies, you, you look at the Googles, you look at the Ubers, you look at the Amazons, uh, but more specifically, I wanna say Google and Microsoft um, and just, looking at what they've tried in other companies with the deployment of, of essentially um, different types of wireless technology. Some of that has been done through um, um, weather balloon type technology or balloons where they, they basically put a, a device up. So it's a low altitude type uh, technology. Um, so there's, I think a lot of these technology companies especially those that are in the, the business of data, based on data, the Amazons, Googles, and Microsofts of the world, they're, they're very interested in that as well. Um, so if all these things fell together, if the private industry and the public sector, you know, if they all work together, what is the best case scenario of where we'll be at with rural connectivity in the next five years? I mean, could this happen overnight or is it going to be a long process? Uh, it's going to be a process. <laughs> I, I think we, we can all, we can all settle that now, you know, is that five or is that 10 years? If that's 20 years. Um, I mean, as you guys know, we're, we're, we're pretty well advancing here on, on the technology front and, and that goes for wireless and IOT type stuff that we've talked about before. And so I don't know, you know, where we'll be in five years, but I, I'd be surprised if not all three of us sitting here today aren't carrying a 5G phone around. I'll say that um, mm -hmm. and taking advantage of what that provides us for sure. So, um, you know, the question will be for, for all this is, uh, I bet that 5G modems aren't being integrated into to a lot of the machines and technologies today. And so if we're going to, you know, if we're going to transition, we got to remember what are we going to, are we going to sunset a lot of this old technology because it's based on, we've already had this, this issue with 3G companies providing connectivity through 3G. Well, they've, you know, you got to upgrade, you got to get something new yeah. to replace that, to get yourself at least to 4G, <laughs> right? And so we've already ran into that in a little bit of the sector uh, on that. So we got to keep that in mind too. There, there's going to have to be a transition period because for those of us that bought, bought something today in ag and plan on keeping it for five to 10 years, if not longer, what are we, you know, are you 
we're going to have to go back out and do some upgrades just to get connected back probably so so mm -hmm. i wouldn't want to flip it on my opinion is i wouldn't want to flip it on immediately because that might you know if we hadn't thought it out well enough it might put some people at a disadvantage immediately and have to go pay some stuff or if they don't pay it again it puts them at a disadvantage in my opinion uh immediately so uh, we got to keep that in mind uh but i do think you're going to see a lot more field connected devices come to the forefront in the next five years um we think a lot of times about weather stations soil moisture temperature of course is fairly straightforward in terms of adding that on to those devices but i think you're going to see in five years a more of a suite of field connected type devices beyond just the machines that farmers potentially could begin to look at or use in their operation um, the other thing is I mean, we've already seen this is a lot more use of the smartphone as as the device to deploy certain um, analytical techniques. So the obvious one is uh, you can get apps today that you take a picture with and, and it uh, it tells you what kind of weed it is. OK, mm -hmm. so that that's kind of here today to some degree. But in five years, think about the perfection of those uh, learning artificial intelligent techniques and seeing that more companies are going to have that. And so we're going to be able to scout in more detail in five years. And it's going to be, in my view, a lot with drones and smart devices being able to deploy and collect a lot more, um, a lot more data, probably more accurate and more quicker than what we're doing today, kind of as a human, as the, as the, intermediary of saying what it is and making recommendations. I see consultants needing to begin to think about and possibly farmers, especially if you're of size, of how, um, how do, as an, I gotta have that expert um, still in my company per se, or, or in my team, but they're gonna be looking more data resources to inform them to bring recommendations than them being as much boots on the ground and going out and doing it. I think there's gonna be a lot more information that comes to consultants through apps, through drones, even remote sense imagery type devices um, that are gonna inform those. And I think in five years, it's gonna be really interesting to see how consultants are operating. I'm not saying that it's gonna replace consult. What I'm saying is, that that expert's going to have to they're going to be getting informed with a lot more data uh, than they are today <laughs> yeah I, th I think that i think it's a really really good perspective both on the very practical level and then you know what that's going to look like uh for a lot of people uh, and i think you already kind of gave some advice for people as, as far as what they should be ready for as we kind of move into this more connected future um but but do you have any other like pieces of advice that you would offer to, to anybody out there in the ag industry whether a researcher or a consultant or a grower to kind of prepare for um increases in, in connectivity on their farm and maybe steps that they can take today to make that transition to a more connected future easier yeah one thing i'd throw out jackson and because we're into this you know digital age is we call it a digital strategy. I think growers just need to, whether it's a, an hour of sitting down, um, it could be a grower with a consultant, just sitting down and kind of doing an audit of what, what's, what technology am I using and what data is that technology 
collecting per se and what do I have access to just to kind of doing that internal audit on that, that and then the next step of that is I am collecting data what data do I find valuable or is there some data that I haven't been able to, to use is there opportunity to to get uh, connected with a consultant or a service provider or maybe some software that maybe would help me with that data if I want to kind of jump in and, and allow them to do analysis with that data. But I think the, the core of that is is an operation. You better be thinking about having a digital strategy and that can be as complex as you want to and bring the lawyers in to, to read all these agreements to, to just a real basic thing, as I mentioned, just what technology, what data am I collecting and how, how am I getting that data from me to you? I mean, is that a mere thumb drive? Um, how am I archiving that data? Am I backing it up? Do I have a copy here locally because I got a laptop and we got some desktop software I, I use to having a cloud backup? You know, what are, what are ways that I have backups uh, in play in case something does happen? Mm-hmm. And again, I, I would encourage people to think about at least having one cloud type technology just to back up data into because it, it's just, it's not very costly today. And secondly, they're doing a great job of securing that. And if something did happen locally, I'd hate to say it a fire or, you know, something gets destroyed, you, there's always going to be a copy out there. You can go back and get hopefully back to where you were. So uh, that would be my big advice to just begin to think about digitally, you know, uh, whether I'm afraid of it and I'm kind of using guidance and I'm kind of using some things. I, I, I just, there's <laughs> just too much going on today. Uh, not to do some kind of audit internally of what's what's happening. Thank you to Dr. Fulton for joining us a second time on the FarmBits podcast, this time to discuss IoT and connectivity. And for me, my favorite part was hearing some of the numbers behind where we are currently when it comes to connectivity. So Dr. Fulton talked about how many farmers already have a smartphone or how if you have a newer piece of equipment, you are already connected to the internet there as well. So there are so many sensors and technologies um, that we often overlook and of how them being connected is so convenient and all the benefits that provides. But there's still a lot of potential out there. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting hearing Dr. Fulton talk about all these different technologies that are out there and, and what's what all has been enabled by people having smart devices and how many people do have them. Um, but it was also really interesting to hear him talk about where we are going, you know, with these technologies. So, you know, people have a ton of different apps that they use right now to help manage their farm. And I thought it was really interesting that Dr. Fulton brought up the idea that really a lot of these technologies are going to need to be integrated in order for farmers to use a lot of these technologies. They're going to have to come together, have interoperability, or all be features within the the same app. And a lot of this is enabled by connectivity. You have to have APIs between these different platforms, or you have to have data streams from devices in the field in order to enable a lot of these platforms to work as seamlessly as they do. So I thought that was a huge piece of this episode. Um, And then just lastly, there's an amazing statistic Dr. Fulton offered up that if we were to connect every farm out there in North America, that we would increase corn production in North America by 3% essentially instantly, which is just kind of mind boggling if you really like process that statistic, so. Yes, especially at the whole scale of the United States, if we can get everyone connected, it is, crazy to think about. Yep. 
So we hope you enjoyed learning about your internet connectivity. And we hope that you join us next week as we dive into this topic a little bit more with the United Soybean Board and their role in bringing real connectivity to producers through the public sector. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback, so if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can also be found in the show notes. We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high-quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the views of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bits.